Welcome to the Sun Also Rises radio show and podcast. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and I want to start off today reading you a short list. Here it is. Swimming fins, bifocal glasses, the odometer, the lightning rod, the flexible catheter, the harmonica, that's like harmonica without the H, and that's the instrument that you're hearing right now. And the last item that I'll mention here might give away the theme of this list. That is the Franklin stove. These things are all inventions by the great American scientist, diplomat, and founding father, Benjamin Franklin. And many items on this list are things that have enriched life for millions of people, really, around the world. And some of them we still make wide use of, even to this day hundreds of years after Benjamin Franklin lived. And something that's just as remarkable as Benjamin Franklin's numerous inventions is the fact that he chose to never patent them. In his autobiography, Franklin wrote about this decision, saying, As we enjoy great advantages from the inventions of others, we should be glad of an opportunity to serve others by any invention of ours. And this we should do freely and generously. End quote. This is an extraordinary philosophy that Benjamin Franklin had, and quite a rare one, really. It's, uh, you know, it's the precise opposite of the way most people and businesses operate. Most of the time, people want to get as much money as they can. And if they have an idea that other people like, They'll do all they can to protect it so that they can maximize profits. And if this is done with balance, it can be beneficial to both the, you know, the patent holder and to those who pay in various ways for the patented invention. But on the show today, I'd like to discuss some companies and individuals who followed in Benjamin Franklin's footsteps, and they decided to serve the world by freely giving away valuable, life-improving inventions. Back in the 1930s, going for a car ride was risky. Cars were getting faster and faster, and there was a growing number of them out on the roads. And safety for most vehicle manufacturers was kind of an afterthought. Doctors in the United States knew how dangerous car accidents were to people because they were treating more and more patients who'd been battered around inside vehicle cabs and many who had actually flown through windshields. The data shows that 75% of people who are thrown out of a car in an accident do not survive. And those who do often have very serious injuries. And doctors were often seeing fatalities and injuries firsthand. And as a result of this, quite a few of them took it upon themselves to install seatbelts in their own cars just to, you know, protect themselves and their loved ones. Some doctors even took it a step further and wrote newspaper articles demanding that car manufacturers start putting seatbelts in cars. But not many people paid attention to the doctors or these articles that they published. So the cars just kept getting faster and more and more people kept getting injured and worse. In 1956... 
both Ford and Chrysler produced cars with seatbelts available as options. So a buyer could pay a little extra and get a car with seatbelts. But these belts were pretty much just a strap that went across the lap with a buckle over the abdomen. And in high-speed crashes, these could cause severe internal injuries. So many people thought that they did more harm than good. And hardly anyone wanted to pay extra for a car with seatbelts. A couple of more years passed, and then in 1958, a man named Nils Bolin was hired by the Volvo Car Company. That's a Swedish company, and they hired Mr. Bolin to be their very first safety engineer. And Bolin was a logical pick for this job because he had worked with airplanes for many years in Saab's aviation division. And he had specifically worked on safety equipment in airplanes to keep pilots safe. So Bolin brought this experience with him when he, when he transitioned over to Volvo. And Volvo had some two-point seatbelts in use, including one that went across the chest diagonally, but these were not much more effective than the two-point lap belts that those U.S. car makers had used. So Bolin devoted himself to finding an effective alternative. And in July of 1959, 60 years ago this month, he unveiled his now-famous three-point safety belt. This apparatus had a few important characteristics that worked together to make it unique and remarkably effective. First, it was both a lap belt and a diagonal torso belt, all in one. So the lap part kept the lower half of a person's body restrained in case of a crash, and the diagonal part kept the upper half in place. And the two parts of the belt worked together to distribute the force. The belt also had very low anchor points, which kept in place even during a collision. And then the shape of the belt's folds formed a V that pointed toward the floor. So this made it tap into, you know, sort of the natural momentum at play in a forward-moving vehicle that comes abruptly to a stop. And then on top of all that, Bolin's three-point belt was easy to use. Unlike some of the other designs, especially in aircraft that were in use at the time, Bolin's device was able to be taken on and off with just one hand very easily. So Nils Bolin's design was simple, but all these various properties combined to make it vastly more effective than any seatbelt that had come before it. Volvo recognized the value of his design, and within a year, every car they made was equipped with one of Bolin's three-point seatbelts. Volvo saw that they had solved a problem that had eluded vehicle manufacturers all over the world for quite a long time, and they knew they could have netted a fortune off of this design, even just off of patents alone. But Volvo felt that Bolin's development had a significance that transcended money. They believed it had more value as a free, life-saving tool than as something to just try to profit from. So they gave it away, making it possible for any car manufacturer to use the design for free. If we go back to the case of Benjamin Franklin, there were some avaricious individuals who ended up putting their own patents on Franklin's unpatented inventions. 
And that really hindered the free use and development and improvement of the inventions that Franklin had intended to happen by not placing his own patents on his inventions. But Volvo prevented that by filing what's called an open patent. That meant they had control over Boleyn's three-point seatbelt, and no one else could patent it. And then Volvo waived all licensing fees for anyone who wanted to use it. Volvo didn't try to hoard the design for a few years of, uh, you know, profiting for a short time or anything like that. It was just freely available from the day it was patented and protected so that no one else could uh, profit from it. Volvo also invested a lot into sending Bolin on a lecture tour around Europe and the U.S. to convince people of the value of wearing seatbelts. And it began to really win people over. Soon, pretty much every automaker was including them on their cars, and the results have been stunning. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration here in the U.S. says that in America alone, every single year, around 15,000 lives of people who would have died in car accidents survive them, often with fairly minimal injuries. And they say this saves somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 billion in costs each year. It was 60 years ago this month that Nils Bolin and Volvo completed development of the three-point seatbelt, and the design has not really changed much since then because it was so effective. And in the 60 years since they opened that patent up to the world for free, well over a million lives have been saved around the world by this technology, and many times that number have avoided major injuries all thanks to the three-point seatbelt and a company that decided that maximizing profits isn't the only thing that matters. Five years ago this summer, Elon Musk made a bombshell announcement. This was on June 12th, 2014, and in his capacity as CEO of Tesla Motors, he said, quote, Yesterday, there was a wall of Tesla patents in the lobby of our Palo Alto headquarters. That is no longer the case. They've been removed in the spirit of the open source movement for the advancement of electric vehicle technology. Tesla Motors was created to accelerate the advent of sustainable transport. If we clear a path to the creation of compelling electric vehicles, but then lay intellectual property landmines behind us to inhibit others, we are acting in a manner contrary to that goal. Tesla will not initiate patent lawsuits against anyone who in good faith wants to use our technology. That marked a major shift in patent strategy. Normally, companies file patents to protect their ideas and to keep others from mimicking what they had worked hard to develop. And that's especially true in nascent industries, such as electric vehicles that Tesla Motors specializes in. But Musk instead was encouraging his competitors to examine everything Tesla had done and to take it and to use it and to, you know, improve it and develop it and to finally make cars that don't rely on hydrocarbons to get around. 
Here's a clip of Musk explaining this in an interview with Leslie Stahl last year. The whole point of Tesla is to accelerate the, the advent of electric vehicles and, and sustainable transport. I'm not sure if you know, but we, we, we open sourced our patents. So anyone who wants to use our patents can use them for free. Your patents are open sourced? Yeah. So if somebody comes and makes a better electric car that, than, than Tesla, um, and, and it's, it's so much better than ours that we can't sell our cars and, and we go bankrupt, I still think that's a good thing for the world. So that is a departure from standard business models. It's motivated by concern for the big picture rather than the company's bottom line. And in October of 2017, just about three years after Musk's milestone announcement, the Chinese automaker, Xiaoping Motors, launched a new electric car that is built from many of Tesla's patented technologies. The car uses the same battery cell format and many uh, of the same displays, just with, you know, some slight modifications. And it appears to be catching on quickly among drivers in that rapidly growing Chinese auto market. And other companies are also taking advantage of this gift from Tesla as well. And then the Japanese company, Toyota, ended up following Tesla's example in 2015, announcing that it would share more than 5,000 patents related to hybrid and electric vehicles in order to advance the technology. So anyway, those are a few companies who have followed Benjamin Franklin's example in some remarkable ways. Whether their leaders read his autobiography or not, these companies engaged in what Franklin called serving others by sharing inventions freely and generously. And they deserve a, you know, a hat tip, I think, for their altruism there. There's another man I wanted to discuss in a related context who definitely did read Franklin's autobiography and was deeply impacted by it. This man's name was Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. And in his own autobiography, Mr. Armstrong wrote, quote, As a young man, I read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography three times over a period of a few years. It had a considerable impact and influence on my life. I owe much to having read it. End quote. Mr. Armstrong was one of the 20th century's most well-regarded religious leaders and humanitarians. He founded, uh, in the early 1930s, the organization that later became known as the Worldwide Church of God. And that organization freely gave away millions of pieces of potentially life-changing literature. Mr. Armstrong had a rare gift for understanding the Bible, and the literature that the Worldwide Church of God gave away was books, booklets, and magazines that explained the Bible's teachings and taught people how to live the right way and why. And it was always given away freely. As I mentioned there, Mr. Armstrong did read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and he was impacted by it, but his decision to give away all of that Bible-based literature was not due to Franklin's example. Instead, Mr. Armstrong was obeying a biblical command. Matthew 10.8 quotes Jesus Christ as saying, Freely you have received, freely give. That's a powerful admonition there. And Mr. Armstrong wrote about this Bible passage 
in a co-worker letter dated August 28, 1966. And he explained that this was why the Worldwide Church of God gave its literature away for free, and why they never solicited financial backing from the public for it. He wrote, quote, The living Christ led me to see that neither he, nor the apostles, nor even Moses of old, ever begged or solicited support from the public. He led me to see that God caused Moses to send out a proclamation for contributions to God's own people, but never the public, only God's people, only those whose hearts were in it. The living Jesus also caused me to see that we must not put a price on the gospel, whether preached or published in literature. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So Christ, who heads this work, saw to it that we would never sell the gospel. End quote. Mr. Armstrong saw that the message that he'd been inspired to understand and freely given was of immense value. It was worth far more to mankind than bifocals or electric cars or even seatbelts that have saved so many lives. What he had been called to understand was worth infinitely more than any of that, and he understood that it was to be freely given, freely disseminated to the world. And that message certainly was disseminated and broadcast to the world. The World Tomorrow program that Mr. Armstrong presented expanded to more than 400 TV and radio stations. And by the time of his death in 1986, the Plain Truth magazine had more than 8 million subscribers each month, which is more than Time magazine and Newsweek combined. And all of that was without any subscription price or ad revenue. The organization behind The Sun Also Rises and KPCGFM carries on this same approach to our literature and programs. Mr. Gerald Fleury is the presenter of the Key of David television and radio program, and he is also the pastor general of the Philadelphia Church of God and the editor-in-chief of the freely distributed Philadelphia Trumpet News magazine. And he wrote an article in the Trumpet's March-April 2000 edition saying, quote, Some of you have been reading the Trumpet for years. New subscribers, however, might wonder how this magazine is funded. After all, there's no subscription price, no advertising revenue, no commercial corporation sponsorship, yet obviously it does cost money. In fact, quite a lot of money to produce a publication of such quality. Here's how we do it. We give. Then God gives back. From there, Mr. Fleury quotes that same passage in Matthew, in which Christ says, Freely you have received, freely give. And then he also quotes Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then Mr. Fleury continues writing, quote, To put a price on our magazine would be inconsistent with the very principle upon which it is based. Our whole work advocates the way of give. So the trumpet has always been offered freely without a subscription price. And of course, the same is true for KPCG FM and its programs. There are no fees and no ad revenue. You might notice that there's no corporate sponsorship or commercials of that kind. And then Mr. Fleury continues saying essentially what Mr. Armstrong said in that coworker letter about the funding. He writes, quote, 
The trumpet has always been offered freely, yet it does cost money. It is funded and supported by a growing number of co-workers who believe in the cause and gladly give of their incomes to support it. Our co-workers join together in thanking you for giving us the opportunity and pleasure of serving you. Well, we're coming to the end of The Sun Also Rises today, and we really appreciate your listening. We thank you, as Mr. Fleury said there, for giving us the opportunity and pleasure of serving you. And if you have any questions or comments, please email those to tsar at kpcg.fm. You can also contact us on Twitter. Our handle is tsar underscore radio show. And if you don't yet subscribe to the freely distributed, ad-free, very high-quality news magazine, The Philadelphia Trumpet, be sure to visit thetrumpet.com and order your free subscription there. No charge, no follow-up, no obligation of any kind. Or if you prefer to call for your free subscription, the number is 1-800-772-8577. And be sure to tune in again for our next episode on Thursday, July 18th. We'll leave you today with the words of the man that we started the episode with, Benjamin Franklin. He said, Hide not your talents. They for use were made. What's a sundial in the shade? (laughs) 